you have a Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Scott wanted to also relay a message that he was not screaming at the TV to the UT Alabama game. (laughs) Although if you look real closely, I think I saw Scott riding on a goalpost in Knoxville. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, No, Scott was hoarse before the Tennessee game. Um, So I see a lot of orange in this room. You're very excited, I can tell. Um, We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And today we're going to look at, uh, let me just say, you know what's so great about the Bible? This is freebie for you, is that when you have to preach last minute, I realize it's not my words that I have to bring to you. It's the Word of God. Isn't that great? Like I don't have to find some creative thing. We just open the Word and we get encouraged. That's a beautiful thing. God speaks through what He has spoken. So He's going to do it today, which is great. So we want to look at today the relationship between Paul and Timothy, and we want to ask one question. What lessons can we learn about disciple-making when it comes to 2 Timothy chapter 2? Now, if you are a type A person and you're making notes in your bulletin and you're like, what do I do with this weird title? That's not the correct title any longer. So you can cross out that whole paragraph and you can put 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 10, and you can put on the title, if you like titles, Lessons in Disciple Making. And we're going to look together at what we learn about disciple making from 2 Timothy chapter 2. The text today is going to inform us about the importance of making disciples. Now, if, if you listen to church chatter in our world and throughout history, you will notice that there's always people talking about what is the threat to the church today. I mean, there's, it's always happened. This is not new. We're not in a new day. So it could be, man, right doctrine is threatening the church, or a, a, we don't have a good grasp on biblical morality or a biblical worldview. And while I'm saying those, that's probably true, those can be threats. Another threat to the church is if we fail to make disciples, we do not pass on the faith. If we don't take seriously the call in Matthew chapter 28 to go make disciples of all nations, then we could be a few generations away from them not understanding the truth, not understanding what it means to walk like Jesus. So disciple making, if not done with a focus and intentionality, can be a threat to the current church today. And it's something that has been a part of my life since I became a believer. I mean, have you sat in church sometimes and you thought, why are we here? Like, what are we doing? Like, why did I get up early out of my pajamas and sit here? Now, there's a lot of reasons we could mention. I went on our website and I found this statement, Grace Community Church is committed to building spiritually healthy people for life and ministry in the world. We are a disciple-making church. There you go. With God-centered worship and biblical teaching, and it goes on. But there's that phrase, we are a disciple-making church community, a disciple-making church. That means that one of the main reasons why you're sitting here this morning and why you come and take your children to Sunday school and why you go to a community group, it's to become more and more like Jesus. It's to look and reflect Him to a world that desperately needs the Savior. That is what we're doing. So let's stand in honor of God's Word, and we will be reading 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 
You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound." Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is God's word. You may be seated. I love when the Bible gives us a glimpse into what was occurring during that time. And in this text, we're getting a glimpse into a sweet relationship between Paul and Timothy. And what I want to do today is I want to take some time to give some background to this text, to give us some grounding since we haven't been in 2 Timothy. Um, So my fault. So look in 2 Timothy, a little bit of the background. I want us to unpack this text, and then I want to leave us with some lessons that we learn about disciple-making from this text. And hopefully we'll, we'll walk out of here with a better understanding of how to make disciples and some things that we can think through. At 13 years old, I became a believer in Jesus. Now, I was only 13, so how much trouble can you get in as a 13-year-old? But I will tell you this, that I was a straight-A student, and I will tell you that I, all my teachers praised me to my parents and said, man, I would have a hundred of Justin if I could. But below the surface, I was a rumbling volcano of of complete disobedience, that I was rebellious to the core and I was underneath the surface just about to erupt. And I remember I I was that student in the back seat of my youth pastor's car going to a bowling night and saying something that cannot be repeated and him turning and going, I've got one of those students in my car. That was me. And I I was this student that was on the verge of going down some very dangerous paths. And I remember going to youth camp that, that summer, and I remember coming face to face with Jesus. It wasn't like him standing in front of me, but it was as though he was speaking right in front of me to my heart, and he was beginning to unpack to me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus And I remember sitting there on a lawn at a small college campus in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Where in the world is that on a map? And I remember sitting there on this lawn, and I remember thinking, I have a choice here. That if I choose Jesus, I know what that means. I didn't know fully, but I knew that my life would be altered. And then the other path that was before me was very clear. It was a rebellious path that I was already beginning to make decisions that would set the course of my life that would have not been very good. It would have been destructive with lots of consequences, and I was heading down a path that was very dangerous. 
But as you know, when the veil is removed and you see Jesus, you can't help but to say, how fast can I run to the cross? And Jesus removed that veil on, on June, in June of 1997, and my life was forever altered, like completely altered. And again, I, I was, and, and for people looking at me, I was a good kid, but I was radically changed. And then I had youth pastors begin to pour into my life, from my youth pastor Rick to another youth pastor, Scott, Brian Jennings, who is no longer on this planet, but with Jesus. And Brian, Brian was this man of God that just poured into me over and over again. I don't remember any one of them going, hey, can I disciple you? They just said, you, meet with me at this restaurant at six o'clock in the morning and bring your Bible. And they began to teach me. And then when I got to Nashville, a man named Brad Dunlap poured into my life and began to show me a glimpse of what it means to be a pastor and what it means to shepherd people. Now, going back to when I first became a believer, as Rick and Brian and others poured into my life, I remember that he handed me this one day. This is so cheesy. But Paul and Timothy was actually a curriculum. And he handed this little book to me. And he said, you know what I've been doing to you? Yeah, now go find some elementary kids in the church and I want you to start pouring into them. And then when I was in high school, he got the eighth grade students together and said, now you're going to pour into these students. I mean, it was not a, would you like? I mean, there was never a question back then of, would you like to do this? It was like, you're going to do this. And I remember frightened going, I don't know what to do. And they were like, what have I done with you? Oh, we've read the Bible together. We've prayed together. Okay, go do that. And that's how my life began as a young follower of Christ, of pouring into other people the truths of Jesus. So if we think about what is discipleship, discipleship I'm going to give you probably a definition that could probably be improved, but I think it's helpful for us. It is the ongoing process in which someone grows in their relationship and knowledge of God. Why? So that they look more and more like Jesus. Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, Jesus says, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the goal there is to replicate the things that Jesus taught so that we look more and more like Jesus. The goal of discipleship is Jesus himself. Let me be really clear. The goal of discipleship and what we're trying to do with people in this congregation and other congregations around the world is we are trying to pour into people so they come out looking more and more like Jesus. It's not to look like anything else, but the goal is to look like Jesus. That may sound like a simplistic answer, but sometimes we get very distracted on what the goal is of discipleship. And the goal of discipleship is to look more and more like Jesus. So a little background on 2 Timothy. As it was written by Paul, it was most likely during his imprisonment, which means Paul is nearing the end of his life. If you go on to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll get that in a little bit, he talks about being poured out as a drink offering. He is near the end. Some would say this is his farewell discourse to his young, young disciple Timothy, instructing him. You go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, he's instructing Timothy to stay true to doctrine, to hold fast to the faith, to not waver, because it was being threatened. And we get to 2 Timothy, and it the language shifts a little bit because it begins to look more very personal to Timothy. I mean, he is getting very clear about Timothy and just really getting personal. It's almost as though 
it's not just written to Timothy, but you feel like it will be only Timothy that will read this because it feels like a letter directly to Timothy and no one else will read this to some extent. But this is what's happening. Timothy and Paul spent 15 years together, around 15 years, very close relationship. Timothy was part of Paul's second and third missionary journey. Some think it may be possible that Timothy was on the perilous journey to Rome. So if that's true, Timothy saw a lot unfold with Paul. I mean, you want to talk about disciple making? He got to see it up close and personal. He got to see everything. Phrases that Paul wrote about Timothy, he was led to faith, and he talks about that in 1 Corinthians, a fellow worker in Romans, a brother, God's servant in 1 Thessalonians. I have no one like him in Philippians. This is a very, very close relationship. And in this passage, you're going to notice there are two types of teaching that are happening in 2 Timothy chapter 2. One is the exhorting kind of teaching. He's going to be exhorting Timothy of how to live and how to walk. But also, Paul uses his life at times as an example when he's beginning to instruct Timothy. So there's this exhortation, and then here's my life for you as an example to walk by. And it may seem like that is, sounds a little bit, I don't know, prideful. Well, look at me. But, but Paul was so confident that he was following Jesus, he could tell to Timothy, look at my example. Why? Because Paul was following Jesus. He knew if you follow me, you end up following the Savior. So Paul knew that about himself. So let's unpack this text for a moment. Now, if you want to break it down in three ways, there's a source of disciple making that we see in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. There is a method that he seems to point to, and then he talks about some of the trials and challenges that we face in making disciples. So, right out of the gate, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you go down to verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Quick note. It's not that Paul has his own version of the gospel, but you got to understand that in the early church, they were being threatened by so many versions of the gospel. And he was being clear, the gospel that I'm preaching to you, my gospel is the true gospel. And everything else that you're hearing is not true gospel. So, so you got to be clear, he's not saying I have a version and then Peter has a version. That's not what's going on here. And then he talks about the word of God not being bound. So if we think about from those verses alone, the source of disciple making is very simple. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. That is the curriculum by which we make disciples. It's it. This is it. It's very simple. This is the inspired word of God. And this is what is presented to people to help them to grow in their faith. It has everything that we need. It has more than enough of what we need to make disciples. And that is the source of disciple making we see from 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's almost as though Paul is saying, Timothy, if you want to know how to guide people, where to point people, it's not to your wisdom. It's not to your understanding. If you want people to look more and more like Jesus, it is not your words that you point them to. It is the word of God that you point them to. That is where change occurs. So we very clear, that's what is happening. We go back to Matthew again, chapter 28, when Jesus said, 
Command them everything or teach them everything I have commanded. So what the apostles were meant to do, what we are meant to do is pass along the truth that has been taught by Jesus. And at this time, they didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament. So they were taking the Old Testament and pointing that to Jesus. How does the Old Testament shape them as disciples in growing to look more like Jesus? How does the Old Testament point to Jesus? And this is what they were doing. They were taking the Old Testament scriptures, they were taking the teachings of Jesus, and they were passing them on so people would look more and more like Christ. So the source of it all is the gospel and the word of God. Now, what's the method? What's the methodology that Paul lays out? He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be, be able to teach others also. First of all, we see from this method that it's highly relational. I mean, you look at the very first verse in chapter two, you then my child. I mean, this in Paul's mind is a, is a father to a son. It is a deep relationship and they are walking together for over 15 years. It did not happen with inconsistency, it happened with consistency. Paul was pouring in to Timothy's life. The only way that Timothy would grow in the faith if there was a consistent relational tie and they were very close to one another and they walked with one another, they talked with one another, they encouraged one another. Again, going back to some of the history and some of the places that Timothy could have been with Paul, can you imagine the things that he experienced? What he saw of his discipler, what he experienced, what was said in those moments when things looked to go really south. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to be on a fly on the wall in those moments? But this is where discipleship in so many ways gets real. When you take the source, the word and the gospel, and you begin to show how it deeply connects with life. It deeply connects to what's going on around you. And that's exactly why discipleship is best in relationship. And that's what was happening here. We see it. And then also we see multiplication as part of the method for disciple making. If you see there in verse two, what you've heard from me goes to Timothy and Timothy, you are to pass that off to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's four spiritual generations. There was an understanding that it was meant to be passed on, not hoarded. So what he was doing with Timothy in this moment is shaping a methodology that you need to pass this on to the next generation. And that can mean a lot of different things. I'm sure Timothy not always poured out to younger age people. It could have been younger in the spiritual faith sense. It could have been they were new Christians, but older than Timothy. And so I'm sure when he was pastoring and people were coming to faith in Ephesus that people came from all walks of life and some may have been older than him but he was pouring into them as people who were coming to faith and needed to grow in their faith. So we see relationship, we see multiplication. And then trials and challenges in disciple making, verses three through seven. If you look down at verse three, it says, share in suffering as a good soldier. Now, clearly we can say two things about that. One, there is trials and suffering when it comes to disciple making. This whole whole methodology or relationship that he's unfolding with Timothy, there is this challenge and trial that comes with it. And he shows these challenges by showing us some, some analogies. First of all, he calls Timothy a good soldier. 
meaning this is war. I mean, this is challenging. This is tough. This is not just something that we go, okay, this is going to be no problem. There's going to be things that he will face where he will feel like he's in war spiritually. And he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since he aims to please the one who enlisted him. Now, what, what is he getting at there? He's saying, Timothy, you're going to be tempted to get distracted. You're going to get tempted to be distracted, so don't get involved in civilian pursuits. It's a way of saying one of the challenges you will face in this whole process of passing on truth to faithful men is that you will get distracted. You may begin to think something is more important than the other. You begin to elevate something that is not of the most important to the place of most important, and then all of a sudden we get derailed. So he knew distraction was possible. So that's one of it. Then he goes on to this athlete example. An athlete is not crowned um, unless he competes according to the rules. So what's, what's Paul getting at there? If you've ever played a sport for longer than a year, you understand that laziness is a temptation. And there's a danger to cut corners. And if you don't do what you need to do and you don't play by the rules, then you don't get the desired outcome that you wish to receive. I mean, if you've ever, again, you've ever played a sport, when I was in high school, I loved the game. I hated practice. I hated practice. I never wanted to go to basketball practice. I mean, I almost quit as a senior because I hated practice. And I walked into my coach's office and said, I don't want to do this. I hate practice. And he goes, I know. I mean, there's this conversation. But the re reality was, if I didn't put that work in, that we wouldn't have the result that we wanted in the game, that you had to do it. You couldn't be lazy. And then he goes to the farmer and he says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What's Paul getting at with the farmer analogy? Well, to be a farmer requires much patience because you plant something and you got to wait. And you got to trust to some degree, trust that rain will come, trust that the right conditions are there, trust that you did it in the right time and in the right season, in the right soil. I'm not a farmer, so that's as far as I can go. But it takes great patience to wait for that yield that's going to come. And this is all part of disciple making. It's easy for us to cut corners. It's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to be impatient, wanting results now, right now. It's just got to be happening tomorrow. And if it's not, I'm frustrated. And so he's, he's trying to give him insight here about how he's going to pour this out to other people that here are some of the ways that you could be distracted so that's some of the text, the source, the method, and trials. Now, what I want to do for the remainder of our time is unpack some lessons that we learn in disciple making from this. And some of it will be a little bit of repeat from the text because it comes straight from the text. Number one, disciple making is rooted in the gospel and the word. Now, why is that so important? So twice in this passage, Paul is pointing back to the gospel. Why is that possible? Why is that so important, rather, to be focused on the gospel and on the word? It's human nature to want to push away when things get hard. It's easy to push away when someone lets you down. And when you are in a disciple-making relationship with someone and you're pouring into them and, and they do something to offend you, they say something to offend you, or they're not walking the faith as you would hope, it's human nature to walk away. But the gospel reminds us that Jesus did not walk away. 
And so what happens is when you are in that kind of relationship and you're walking with someone and they begin to walk away or they begin to push back or they begin to not live like you would hope they would live, grace has you pushing closer, not moving away. Grace, and that grace we understand. Why? Because it's rooted in the gospel. We understand grace. So when we are fully, fully bathing in the gospel, we understand that when we know that we were once enemies and God drew near to us, that when someone acts in a way that we wouldn't desire, that we begin to walk closer to them, not walk further away. That's what grace does for us. That's why the gospel has to, be, it has to be rooted in the gospel. It has to be rooted in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the word, because that is the source of how we know to follow Christ. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, aren't there some really good books out there? Yeah, they are, there are. I could name a lot of them up here of good books that you should read that will help your faith. But they don't come close to the Bible. They don't come close to the Word of God. The Word of God is the Word of God. And all of these other books are helpful, and you should read them, and I'm not saying don't read them. But if we get away from the Bible, then we get away from truth. And what would happen if you begin to pass on things from generation to generation that's not the Bible? Well, 10 generations down the line, it's going to look a little different, isn't it? And so we've got to stay true to the Word. The Word is our source. So disciple-making is rooted there. Disciple-making is what I call life on life. I don't really like that phrase. I can mean a lot of things in church culture, but it's this idea of that it grows out of community. That it's, it's in community where we begin to see disciple-making occur. And, and I, I, I think that the, the, we need to understand that disciple-making is a lifelong learning, not just one occasion or one sermon. When I think about this, I, I go back to my own journey, and, and I can tell you, I have, been, I have been called at two in the morning. I have been called away from dinner with my family to go meet with somebody. And you may go, because you're a pastor, Justin. Well, before I was a pastor, I ran 10 retail locations that blended fruit in a blender. And that's what I did. But on my off hours, I discipled. I walked with people. It wasn't, I went to church. I was in church. I was sitting in a church just like this, and I was learning from the Word, and I was pouring into others. So it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian, and that's what Christians do. We walk with people. We, we are in relationship. We take the late calls. We take the last-minute changes to our schedule because we know that discipleship happens in the context of relationship, and sometimes it gets messy, and sometimes it's not always easy. It's not just curriculum on life or Bible study on life, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's about being involved with other people. I mean, as I thought and prepared for this text, I thought of Scott, Patty, and David Atchison pouring into my life. Like, that, that's what they've done. Since I've been here for 11 years, I have got to watch these men up close at men's leadership training early in the morning and seeing them declare truth from the Bible and pour into my life. That's what it means, being on life. Meaningful discipleship involves a person who we entrust the gospel with, and we give them the gospel, we give them the word. You know, that word entrust seems to insinuate something as well, doesn't it? When he says entrust to faithful men, when someone will entrust something to someone, it is usually of high importance. Entrusting involves care, it involves time. 
a lot of time. Sometimes people grow fast and sometimes it's slow. I don't have a formula. There are a lot of books that try to make it a formula. If you do these things, then it's going to happen in six weeks. I, I just, again, I'm not that old, but in my life and being discipled and helping others, it's just not one size fits all. It's all over the map. But discipleship includes that close relationship. Discipleship, as we said earlier, disciple making involves multiplication. It's really easy to get into a church and to find your group. Now, let me be careful. There is a group that you need to find, and it happens in every congregation where you can go to for prayer, you can run to for advice, you can run to for help, and that, that is encouraged. But sometimes it's very easy to get comfortable in your little circle. It's easy to get comfortable in your little sphere and not look up and say, oh, who else can I pour this out to and give this over to? So it's all about passing it along and it's all about multiplication. Again, I, I love walking our hallways and going by the, the high school, Sunday school class and the middle school, Sunday school class. Often I wanna, I see the teachers in there and I'm like, I would like to sit in this class and learn because they're amazing teacher of God's word. You know what they're doing? They're pouring into the next generation. They're pouring into the next, the next students that will be the elders and pastors and leaders and pouring into women. I mean, that's, what, that's who it's gonna be. And so I love to see that we're doing that at this church and pouring into and teaching them the truth. But this is what it takes. It's, it's a multiplication. It's meant to be passed on. Next, disciple-making should produce gospel fruit. Disciple-making should produce gospel fruit. Once Jesus is the Lord of a person's life, from that begins to flow out of that what I call gospel implications. So let me be really clear. We today are confusing the word gospel with everything, and it's just all over the place. You know, the gospel is, and they fill in the blank. You're like, well, actually, the good news of Jesus, this is the message of the good news of Jesus. But here's another ditch we can fall into. Well, no, that's not the gospel. This is the gospel and period. But the reality is when someone is living out the gospel, there will be implications that flow out of a person's life who has yielded to, the, to put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When that happens, out of that flows a life that looks very different. And it's, it's an implication of the gospel. Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit. We can get into biblical morality like sexuality, sanctity of life, loving your neighbor. All of these are important and they flow out of a life that has yielded to Jesus. You know, I remember when I first became a believer and I was, I was rough around the edges. Again, teachers love me, but behind the scenes, my friends knew me somewhat, something else. And I remember I became a believer and I one day was bragging to my friend about something I did. And he goes, oh, <laughs> had that look on his face. And again, I was still growing in my faith. He opened the Bible and pointed to stuff and goes, this is what the Bible says about what you just bragged about. And I was like, oh, oh. And it was that moment. And you may say, well, did you listen to it? Absolutely. Why? Because I had yielded my life to Jesus. And when I read what Jesus said, it wasn't like, no, wait a second. Actually, the context and the culture of that time really means, no, this is what Jesus is calling me to. And I don't Oh, I guess I'll submit. I willingly submitted. Why? Because he's the Lord of my life and I'm going to follow Jesus. And so that's exactly what happens when we say, okay, our life is yielded to Jesus. And then out of that flows this gospel fruit. And that's what we should be seeing. 
Got to be careful not to fall in, in one ditch or the other. But we got to make sure we're speaking the gospel, what the gospel is, but understanding that from it will flow a life of, of gospel fruit. Disciple making helps a disciple look outward. If you look at verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. One thing that I love seeing about Paul, Paul had such an amazing vision of Jesus to the point where no matter his situation, he saw it as an opportunity to bring God glory and he saw every opportunity to make Jesus more famous and so that others will want to follow Jesus. It was a beautiful thing. You look in Philippians, the beginning of Philippians, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what's happened to me, which was persecution and hardship, has actually served to advance the gospel. It was almost him saying, don't feel sorry for me. What we're seeking to do is actually happening. It's a beautiful thing about these lives that are so connected to Jesus, they see every opportunity as a way to get the gospel to more and more people. Chains were not going to stop Paul. And he knew that because as he said down here, the word of God is not bound. They may bind me to a wall, but the word of God will continue. The word of God will spread. And so when we are in these kind of disciple-making opportunities, it's a way for us to help others look up and look outward. That's part of being a disciple, and, and Paul was using his life as an example to Timothy to say, one of the things that we are to be about is looking up for opportunities to take the gospel to more and more people. And part of the disciple-making process is not to stay inward-focused, but to get outward-focused and look at people that need Christ. So disciple-making will include evangelism. It includes getting the word out. It's not just learning. It's actually going out and making disciples. Now, the other thing I would say about disciple making is it's setting the stage for Jesus to work. Now, this is what has been so, so helpful to me. And as I've walked with others and, and others have walked with me, that sometimes we think we've got to do, what can I do for it to really, you know, click? And what, how, what can I say? And what book of the Bible would be important? And da, 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 da. And all those are great and helpful questions. But sometimes, and what really disciple making is, here's the secret. You are putting them before Jesus and you're letting Jesus go to work. That's disciple making. It's not your words that are gonna change them. It's not your life that's gonna all of a sudden go, ooh, and even if it looks like that, it will fizzle out because the who we need to place them in front of is not you, but it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that's going to transform, not you. And so what disciple making is, is you just putting them before Jesus. It's setting the stage for Jesus to work. It's putting the word before them. It's praying. It's just setting them for the Savior and go, okay, Jesus, go to work. That's the beautiful thing about our Savior is that he's willing to change and transform hearts. So that's the source. You know, some may say, you know, I just, I'm just, as I, th- I hear you talk about disciple making, I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough theology. I don't, I'm not wise enough. If that's you, then I say you're in the right place. I would rather have a person that says, I have need a lot of help than the person saying, I know everything. I know how to make this happen. That person scares me. That person frightens me because that person has got pride boiling up and I don't know if this is going to go well. But the person says, whoo, I don't know what to do. Great. Let's get started. Because you know who's going to change that person, not you. And you're just going to get them before Jesus. 
That's what disciple making is. The last thing I would say is disciple making is hard. It's just hard. I, I could list people in my mind right now that <laughs> I am calling and they have, they have walked away. I've, I've spent countless hours in, 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 in college dorms with, I've spent countless hours on front porches with, and they have said, I'm done. I'm checking out. And it's hard. And sometimes it's messy because sin is messy. And when you begin to walk with people closely, you be, more comes out of what's going on in their life. And, and, and Jesus is trying to change that. And the best way I can describe it is I walked with someone recently in the city over the last few years that works in ministry to those in poverty and addiction. And he would often say to me, man, it feels like we take two steps forward and five steps back. Two steps forward and five steps back. I mean, that sounds a lot like discipleship. It just is. It's hard and it's messy. But let me tell you something. It is absolutely worth it. I, if, if I could tell you all of the conversations I have over coffee, discipling other men, walking with them, being in small groups with other people, there is no other place I would rather be. I love teaching. I love being up here. This is kind of fun to walk through a text. Maybe not fun to get called at five in the morning, but it's fun. But I love more sitting with someone over a cup of coffee and allowing the word of God to begin to pierce into their life and seeing those aha moments that connect gospel to living. Like, oh, Jesus said this, oh, and they connect it to marriage, they connect it to relationships, they connect it to how they relate to the lost person in their neighborhood. And these aha moments are like, I would, I would do that over and over and over again. Because those are the moments I know that, are, that the change is happening and transformation is occurring. So it's worth it. So here's what I would do in closing. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is how I can hope I can end my life. And I think it's a great place to pursue and think about. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul saw his life as being poured out, to be spent, to be used. There was never a I'm retiring moment. He may have retired or he probably didn't, but I mean, there is retirement today, but you know what I mean? There was a sense of I'm not stopping. Pour my life out as a drink offering. At, at the, time of my my, the time of my departure has come. So here's Paul. He knows it's coming. He is, doesn't have much time left. And what does he say? I wish I could have done more. No, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved and longed for his appearing. So you, you think about this moment. That's the kind of life I want to live and how I want to end. And that's disciple making. It's, it's not necessarily rocket science, but it takes work. Now, not work where you earn salvation. No, 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 no. We're not going there. That's unhealthy. You've been given grace upon grace, and you've been saved not by works so that no man must. It's all the grace of God. But when you get into disciple making, you get working to point people to that grace so that at the end of life, you can say, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. May that be so for grace and for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word, for the truth in 2 Timothy chapter 2.